0: located
1: um i'm located in london okay Uh, yeah so i'm a a university student in london all right i've got some friends in and around london
0: patrick Mm -hmm. is in london matt's in london danny's in bristol so we've got some people that i know i'll introduce you to them soon enough so yes we had started off talking about the that a major teaching of the Buddha has to do with the understanding that fire must have a fuel to burn. That no fire burns without a fuel. Mm -hmm. If we can understand that that's true, not just in the physics of of making fires, but in all of physics, and then if we can see that if it's true in all of physics, then it is also true Um, in all of reality, Mm
2: -hmm.
0: including mental reality. That this concept that fire burns only with the fuel, and when it's got good fuel, it has, I guess, a good fire. So the the quality of the fire depends upon the quality of the fuel. Mm -hmm. So you can have a refuge fire, but a refuge fire is different from a fire of a gas stove. But fire is fire. Okay. So... Um, if we understand that, then we can understand actually that this is what we mean by the cause and effect right the cause and effect is the same thing as fuel and the fire of the fuel um mm-hmm. uh, so if you have um the fuel in a fire, then you have the fire, and when you remove the fuel, you have no more fire have you under- can you Get that?
1: Yeah, it makes, I mean, sense. It
0: yeah. makes sense. I mean, that's it makes okay. sense. Okay, yeah. all right. It makes intellectual sense on the surface of it, but I'm looking for a deeper understanding than just it makes sense. I but mean, brother.
1: Yeah, I, I get exactly what you're saying because I mean, at, at the very least, I understand what you mean in the, the physics realm of things because obviously I did do physics. So obviously, energy can't be dis- created; it can't be destroyed. It's only transferred from one place to another. So essentially what you're saying is that um, negative thoughts will necessarily create more negative thoughts. And other things. Right. Okay.
0: And that we can describe them, other things. Um, Let us say it this way. If you have one kind of thought... Mm-hmm. Then you will have a certain kind of body chemistry that goes with it, and there's also a mind chemistry that goes with it. That we're mm-hmm. that we're looking at the fact that we are electromechanical robots.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: That's a, but we're very sophisticated, but we're not nearly as sophisticated as we think we are. So We're all electromechanical, and um, actually it's not electromechanical, it's electrochemical. And so all of these brain chemicals, such as serotonin, dopamine, tryptophan, uh, uh, oxycodone, all of those different brain chemicals are uh, being produced depending upon the state of mind that we're in. And the state of mind that we're in is um, often associated with thoughts, memories, and/or um, new information that we that we come across that uh, will cause a reaction. For instance, many people, when they see a snake on the uh, uh, the pavement. Let us say even they see a snake beside the road when they're in the car passing down the highway. Still, when they see that snake, they'll have an internal reaction to that snake, a repulsion and fear. But if you're actually right close to that snake, in fact, I was, um, um, I was at a... Uh, uh, Let us say a roadside museum that they had in the United States in uh, uh, this was out uh, in Mexico, uh, close to um, uh, that area that is, oh gosh, you know, area 57 Rosdale, that, okay. And in one of the exhibits, they had a snake and they had a a bet that you couldn't hold your hand to that glass that that uh, snake was in for five minutes and everybody would take that bet uh-huh. And when the guy would put his hand to the glass the guy would go get the snake and uh-huh. grab it by the throat with this um, a long device that he had and put it right up next to the guy's hand and almost everybody I mean you can he wins that bet all the time by putting that snake and there's just a piece of glass here and he brings that snake right up and everybody will take their hand away
1: it's instinctual right it's in, well yes
0: that's the whole point that I'm getting at that this is instinctual but it's possible for you to keep your hand there if you have strong determination that you can override that uh, instinctual fear
2: Uh
0: it can be done Uh okay so what I'm getting at with this is that we have these instinctual fears that come up that we see something and then but it's not just the snake. There's something that the human adds to that. And that is an instinctual memory of fear of snakes, mm-hmm,
2: mm-hmm.
0: to where eagles don't have that fear of snakes.
2: Right.
0: Possibly they don't have that fear because when they see a snake, you know, we're talking about generation after generation from prehistory, that when the eagle's in the sky, he's completely safe of that snake, but humans walking on the ground, it's dangerous for them to be around that snake. Uh-huh. So the eagle then he sees that snake down there and he circles around until he can find a way to get in and he sees that snake as dinner. Uh-huh. Okay, so that eagle has a completely different reaction to that snake than the human does.
2: Yeah, of course, yeah.
0: Okay. This is what we're calling instinct. Mm -hmm. And that instinct is built into our DNA. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: And that instinct is actually, you could say, is a self-preservation instinct. Mm -hmm. And what we're looking at is, is that many of the self-preservation instinctual behaviors that we have all day long are basically false positives.
2: Yeah, right.
0: Okay, just like that was a false positive that that snake, because of that piece of glass when that guy brought that snake up there uh, with his uh, uh, his device, the reality was, that snake cannot bite me.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Okay, but we, re- we react to it completely differently. We mm-hmm. react to it as if it's really dangerous, mm-hmm. where in fact the reality is there is no danger.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Okay. We get started with that when we are kids, we start behaving and reacting to adults and parents around when the teacher scolds, we think it's dangerous.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: So then for the rest of their life, the, uh, the young man, anytime a female scolds him, he feels terrified. Right? Mm. This is how it happens is, is that we pick up habits based upon instincts. Conditioning, right. We condition our instincts,
2: mm-hmm.
0: but the instincts, the underlying instincts are there.
2: Yeah.
1: Now
0: that conditioning that we're talking about, in Pali it's called silabhata paramasa. Have you ever heard that word before?
1: First
0: time. Silabhata paramasa actually is known as the second fetter. It's one of the very early fetters, it's along with personality view, the idea within the teachings of the Buddha is is that there is a sequence of events that knowledge precedes deliverance an example of that is the prisoner who is escaping from prison has to figure out a way to escape Mm -hmm. and after he's figured out and does all of his planning only then can he escape
2: Mm -hmm.
0: makes sense huh yeah okay so knowledge precedes deliverance in fact knowledge is the uh conditioning causality for deliverance okay okay therefore the beginning part of the path of the buddha is based in knowledge not in direct deliverance Mm
2: -hmm.
0: and so the first knowledge is that we have to uh go through is the knowledge of who am I, what am I, what's practicing, what is happening here. The second knowledge has to do with look at all this conditioning stuff that I've been carrying around because those conditions are not me. That's the Silabhata paramasa, the conditioning. It's often translated into English out of the sutras as rites, rules, and rituals.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: But it's more than that. But it's like those things, mm-hmm. rules, including laws, including the rules of the house, house rules, okay, rights, rules, rituals, what mama wants when, what some authority wants from us. And we remember those things because we get punished if we break the rule. Self-preservation instinct means that we got to keep all the rules.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And so we wind up spending our whole day going around keeping the rules so that we can maintain a state of safety because we don't feel safe. Mm -hmm. And look at our culture, what we've done. Our whole idea was, is that back, way back when, 10,000, 100,000 years ago, life was dangerous. Every place was wild. There were no cities or safe places anywhere. And so... um, uh, ne- Neanderthals would sleep together bunched together in a little herd at night just like the dogs do mm-hmm. just like wolves they, they go in packs just like monkeys will sleep together in trees it's called the nesting instinct but it's also the same instinct as the herding instinct which is basically to go along to get along imagine that you've got a, um, uh, a group of wildebeest uh, a water buffalo, something, and that the lion comes up and he starts sneaking through the grass. And one of them gets a, a, a whiff of what, uh, and he warns all of the others. What they do is they get into a herd, a very tight little herd. Mm-hmm. Why? Because the herd is safer. Any wildebeest that's not part of the herd is going to be called out, or actually, is if he's not part of the herd, he's already been called out and mm-hmm. therefore he's vulnerable.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: This is instinctual behavior that we have. It's really mm-hmm. important to recognize that we have this thing and we call it social. We are social animals, mm-hmm. right? We go along to get along.
2: Mm-hmm. That
0: going along to get along is that hurting behavior and that is how we live our lives in order to be safe. And so we follow all the rules and we do what we're told to do and we try to fit into society and guess what? Some of those rules are contradictory. Giving us quadrant, we don't know what to do. We don't know which rule to follow. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So this is why we call this a better is because we have to figure out that no, we've got a different thing to do here. We've got something new to do. We have to stop following the, the all of those 10,000 million rules and come up with something that's simple. And the Buddha has a solution for that. What is that? Dukkha Dukkha Naroda. If you pl- apply dukkha dukkha naroda in every moment, then you'll you don't need to follow anybody else's rules.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Okay. And that um, an example of that is that, oh well, I'm doing this for your own good. You heard that often. Mm-hmm. The worst case of it is, is the, uh, um, the doctors that were associated with the um, concentration camps in Germany, World War Two, were experimenting on patients,
2: mm-hmm.
0: calling it scientific experiments.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: It was very little more than just torture.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Okay, so when you have the idea that, uh, like the parents saying, well I'm only doing this for your own good, like when they're spanking a child or anything like that. Basically, what that means is you're giving a gift that's unwanted. Giving a gift that's unwanted or taking power over someone else, giving them something, and that's actually, in this moment, creating suffering. Mm -hmm. And your whole idea was that I'm doing this for your own good, which means I want you to be safe in the future, but right now I want you to suffer.
1: Right. Right?
0: Right. The, the Buddha's teaching is completely different than that. He says no suffering and no suffering in this moment. So I'm not going to go around doing good for people that don't like what I'm doing good.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: I'm not doing things for other people's own good because that, that's just an indication that they don't like what I'm doing. That if I'm going to give somebody a gift I should give them a gift that they like. This is what we mean by Dukkha, Dukkha Naroda. Well, if that's true uh, and we can actually learn to practice that, then c- the place to learn to practice that is in our own mind, moment by moment by moment. Every thought moment that comes up, am I giving myself a gift that I want or am I giving myself a gift of job to do, work to do?
1: So, like on a, on a practical level, say, w- going back to the what we were talking about, the fuel say a negative thought arises so according to you what is the the correct response a negative thought arises what is the correct response
0: well this without going into the, deep into the story itself there was a point in time when the buddha climbed out of the uh, creek that he had fallen into when he was so weak and recognize that all the stuff that he'd been doing all of this time was not working and he needs something new.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: That's when he came across the understanding that, ah, the first jhana is in fact the uh, path. That that's the right way to go is first jhana. And so uh, that's when he started to having more food. He became a little bit fat compared to the starving Buddha that he was or the starving image that uh, his friends had saw. So they abandoned him and he stayed in that area of Gaya because it was kind of spooky. So that's basically just a tiny bit of the story. And there he's sitting trying to figure out what's going on. And then there came a thought that I'm going to give you now that it should become the basis and the foundation of all of your practice. And that is the Buddha. what he said was, aha, I see you, Mara. Aha, I see you, hindrance. Aha, I see you, negative thought. Mm-hmm. Aha, I see you. Now that aha, I see you is a completely different mentality than, oh, no, there it goes again. Mm-hmm. Okay. The aha, I see you is actually gladdening the mind. Uh Aha, I see you. And now you've got a new mind moment. So here we are thinking about uh, the argument we had with girlfriend. And now we wake up and we say, "Uh aha, I see that I'm wasting my time thinking about an argument with girlfriend. I see that crap. Mm -hmm. Okay, so that's the wake up. If you can see it as that, the next thing that we do, in fact, you've already made the change Uh aha I see you Myra doesn't mean now we go back and return to that argument with the girlfriend but we let it go we throw it out we put something else in the mind that's more wholesome like taking a deep breath acknowledging that and say you know I really do like her there's no reason to argue and so we change the content of the mind This is the major change between the Mahasi method and the actual teachings of the Buddha. Is that you have to change the content of the mind from the unwholesome into something wholesome. Mm -hmm. And that's easy to do because you you go all the time changing the mind one time after another. The the mind moment, I mean, there's like 10 a second or so. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: Some of them last a couple of seconds. But we would go, uh, in fact, Freud even called it free association. We just move from one thing to the next and the next. Uh, they talk about it in, uh, in Buddhist terms in the fact that the monkey mind is jumping from tree to tree to tree, jumping from thought to thought to thought, right? So when students say, well, how do I change my thought? Well, you're tra- they're, they're so temporary anyway. It's ridiculous to say, how do I change my thought? They're changing. You can't stop it. Mm-hmm. But you can change the direction that you're going in with them. You can think what you want to think when you think about thinking what you want to think, and when you don't think about thinking what you want to think, you're liable to think any old
1: thing. Mm-hmm. And so you so learn to guard
0: the mind and to make sure that the mind is thinking wholesome thoughts.
1: Okay. So you're, you are basically, to summarize so far, you're saying like the Mahasi method only has half the picture, right? It has the noticing but it doesn't replace it with something I wholesome. wouldn't give it even 50 points. But doesn't it, isn't the, the noticing, isn't that aha, isn't that just like, isn't the same thing as the noting practice? Like a, aha, I see, you know, a thought, or, you know, a negative thought, or a negative feeling. Is that not the the same thing as the aha? I don't know of any Mahanshi's
0: system where they say, aha, I see you. Okay, so you mean, You mean like they L- saying, saying that oh, in your head. Oh I, oh, I see it again, again, again. Okay, we're talking about an attitude change here. We're talking about gladdening the mind.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Talking about adding something new in there. To remember mm-hmm. to add something new. And this is what we call right effort.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Okay, that this is actually very much following the Eightfold Noble Path. That we start with right view in the sense that, yes, I can think wholesome thoughts. Then we have right sati, which means I have to remember to look at what I'm doing. And then we investigate. Is this thought wholesome or is it not wholesome? And that's, that investigation takes a split second. It only takes, anybody can do that. We can say, because the criteria is easy, if I'm if I'm feeling good, then it's a wholesome thought. If I'm not feeling good, then it's not a wholesome thought. In fact, the whole idea of hindrances is that they're hindering me from feeling okay. And so when people say, oh, well, the Mahasi Method means that we continue to have negative thoughts and we accept those negative thoughts means that we're actually just practicing and accepting and continuing in a depressed state. And it's okay that I'm depressed. Let me get out a knife and I'll end it now. Okay? So, that's not what the teaching of the Buddha is. The teaching of the Buddha is is that um, acceptance has to do with friendship. In the sense that you accept a friend. When the friend comes to the door and, and you see the friend, you open the door and accept him right away. If some stranger comes to the door, you don't want to open the door to him. You want to know who he is. If it's, if it's a cop or a bill collector, you don't want to open the door for sure.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Okay. So we need to start then guarding our door. To allow only the friends in. To have friendly wholesome thoughts and to not allow the unwholesome thoughts. Because the unwholesome thoughts got into the mind in the first place
2: because we accepted them. We accepted them. When mama
0: yelled at me and I accepted her yelling at me, that means it gives me
2: permission to start yelling at her later when I'm older. Mm -hmm. And so we need to be more discriminating and less accepting. and
0: And later, once we get excellent at accepting, then that means that we can let the world go, that we don't have to try to fix the world according to our own standards. So another way of looking at it is this whole idea of acceptance means that we have to look at the distinction between the inside and the outside. On the inside, if I accept all of the crap of the world, then I'm going to be full of crap. But if I can clean up on the inside and have only wholesome thoughts, and a loving nature, then I actually can accept the outside world without letting it destroy me. I can just leave it alone. Mm -hmm. It's not my business. It's not my problem. I accept that (laughs) Donald Trump did whatever Donald Trump did, and it's not my worry, not my problem. But look how many people in the United States are really upset about Donald Trump. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Why are they upset? Because they don't accept it. Some people, they don't accept what Donald Trump is against, and other people don't accept what all the people that Donald Trump, you know, and so you've got all of this non-acceptance going on. But along with all of that non-acceptance is all of this acceptance. All of those followers of Donald Trump accept Donald Trump. They accept him. They bring him in. They say, yeah, this is right, and other things are wrong. So the question is, can you just leave things out there? That's the way of accepting it, it's just leaving it go. It's not my problem. Let me have my problem is to clean up on the inside. And here I'm not going to be so accepting, here I'm going to be um, nurturing instead. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, so acceptance has a problem to it. Let me give you this to, to kind of illustrate just a little bit. Though so this is a bit advanced. So I'll, I'll go ahead and do it with you.
2: Okay.
0: At the very bottom is hot war, arguments, cups At nations, it's open warfare. Mm-hmm. Above that is cold war, hostility, where people mm-hmm. are not speaking to each other. Mm-hmm. um, um etc. like that, uh, avoidance. Mm -hmm.
2: Uh,
0: The next level above that is toleration. Toleration is still hot, I will still, for instance, the Christians will tolerate the Muslims, but as soon as a Muslim does something wrong, we're going to kill them all, but right now we got to tolerate them. The next level above that then is this level of acceptance, where I can in fact put up with stuff I may not like it but I can put up with it and I can accept it that's the way that it is I'll live with it the next step above that is now beginning to get out of all of this ordinary life including acceptance is just ordinary world ordinary uh, the Pali word is Putajana ordinary people ordinary society above that is the nobles and the nobles have two levels. The first level for the noble is friendship. The Buddha said uh, in one of the suttas, it's called the half sutta, by the way, where the Ananda comes and says, Oh, Sariputta just told me that uh, the teachings of the Buddha, the entire teachings, is uh, half of it is all about friendship. And the Buddha correct me says, No, all of the teachings are all about friendship. I've, I've heard that, yeah. I've heard that. To be friends with yourself, to uh-huh. be friends with the world, not just to accept the world that it is, but be friendly with everybody that you meet. Now, there's two kinds of worlds out there in the sense of the world of um, information, the world of media, the world of what's happening far away from here. But the real world is the real world that does affect us, the immediate world our environment, the town we live in, and only the things that we see. That's our world, and that's the world that we want to be friendly with, so that we can be friendly with everyone that we talk to, everyone that we meet, and people that we don't know and don't meet and don't see are none of our business. Donald Trump is none of my business. I don't care what he does. He's not my problem. But look how many people say he is my problem from both sides. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. So when we recognize that things are not our problem, we can accept them. But in our locality, we're going to see things as friendly, complete friendship. But that takes a change in attitude on the inside. Because we uh, normally have the attitude that we live in a dangerous world. We live in a dangerous environment. Oh, if I don't care about Trump, things will get really dangerous. Mm-hmm. That's the mentality, and so everybody becomes afraid.
1: The anxious mentality,
0: right. Right, but if you have a heart that is easygoing going and uh, not, not full of fear, then what happens on the outside world is not an issue, not a problem.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Then there's a high, the place above that. The highest noble place is what is referred to in Latin as amor fate. Now, the word fate here is the word that we have for fate. And we're talking about fate in the sense of whatever happens.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Okay? Just your immediate future. What's happening, we can become in love with. We can fall in love with whatever it is that's going on. Mm-hmm. And what we mean by in love with here uh, is than that highest level of acceptance Mm -hmm. so when your very best friend or someone that you're expecting comes to the door it's not that you just allow them in like you would a friend you usher them in Mm -hmm. you bring it in bring them in with joy okay this is the way that we want to start living our lives as if everything is uh an absolute friend best friend Mm -hmm. Okay, this way we can change, this is a new attitude. Now, that attitude is going to change because we're developing it as a skill. Going back now to the Eightfold Noble Path, we're talking about right view, right uh, sati, or right remembering, to wake up. The next is the right investigation. You could call that investigation the same as the noting method, but then that investigation has to be followed by right effort. And that right effort then is after we made the investigation, we have to do two things. One is to change the way that we're breathing by taking the long deep in breath. And the other thing that we're changing is we're going to change the content of the mind. Aha, I see that hindrance. And out it goes. I'm not going to think about that argument. I'm not going to think about that email that has to write. I'm not thinking, I'm not going to think about having to go to work tomorrow or anything like that. Any thoughts that are not here and not now are Mm -hmm. hindrances, and out they go. And for this little while, I'm going to practice developing the skill of the right attitude. Now, everything in our culture. Including being a baby when we're born, puts us in a victim's position. As an infant, we are a victim. Mm -hmm. We can't change our own diaper, repeat ourselves, or talk. And when we get a little bit older, still the furniture is for adults. The adults run us around. Whenever we go anyplace, we can't just go where we want to. We got to have mommy or daddy's hand to hold. We can't even walk very well. So we wind up being a victim and we are an under dog under all of this authority and because we start out as a victim we maintain and remain in that victim's position more or less our whole lives so that we become victims and a victim needs um a savior Mm -hmm. a victim needs a mommy a baby needs a diaper to be changed by his mommy okay So this is the idea then of the way that people live their lives is, Oh, I have a mess in my life. Let me find someone else to clean it up because I can't do it by myself. Mm -hmm. And that's the attitude that everyone brings to meditation. Therefore they will say, and meditation will do something to me or the guru. If I listen to the guru, I can make a change. The guru will do it for me. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: Okay. Or the meditation is going to do it for me. And so there are those who said, and I have put in a hundred thousand hours of meditation. Like that means something. Right. It's almost as like, Uh, at at 30,000 hours the comma machine in the sky is recording all of this down and when you get to 30,000 hours he comes in with his uh, shaki pot and he blesses you and whacks you and says some words and now you feel good
2: Mm -hmm.
0: okay Mm -hmm. that's the way that most people practice meditation that it's the outside thing that's going to do it to them Mm -hmm. rather than saying oh no this is a skill that's got to be developed This is a skill that has to be practiced and practiced and practiced and practiced because we've got two strikes against us. We've got both our instincts and then all the cultural baggage that was built on those instincts that are keeping us down and keeping us suppressed and keeping us as victims. So we're going to have to make a major change here. And the major change is a change of attitude. What attitude do we have? The attitude of hindrances is the attitude of a victim, the attitude of work to do, the attitude of uh, uh, things that are broken that need to be fixed, the attitude basically of criticism. That, in fact, our culture puts great stock in critical thinking and in criticism. This is good. This is bad. This is better. This is an A plus. This is an F. Right? Our whole society is built upon it. Yeah, a lean-to is okay, but a a sala is better. But a house with walls is even better than that. Okay, Mm -hmm. and so you can see. And now uh, a a skyscraper, a skyscraper with Trump Tower's name on it—that's even better.
1: It's never enough, basically.
0: Yeah, you see, nothing is ever better enough because we can always find something better. And this is the critical thinking. This is what's given us our technology and our civilization, and we don't enjoy it. Mm. Even though we have all the technology and all the safety now of technology in our civilization, we don't live like that. We still live like we were primitive. We still live like that everything is dangerous.
1: Arguably, we're even more anxious because of social media and whatnot. mm -hmm. Exactly so. Mm. Exactly. So,
0: even though we have been able to fix much of the outside world and make it habitable... We haven't fixed the inside world so that we can enjoy that new habitation. We have done it with the critical mind, but guess what? If we're critical on the outside, we're critical on the inside. In the sense of wanting things that we don't have, thinking that, oh, if I get that new thing from technology, then I will be better off. I'll be happy. I see that new car. I want that car. That means that without the car, I'm carless. And therefore, I'm not up to scratch. But if I get the car, then I'll be okay.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Okay, so this is one of the ways of, of critical thinking. And it gives greed and ill will. I like this. I want this. This is good. I don't like this. It's uh, I got to get rid of it, and it's bad. But this is all uh, kind of magical thinking. That just because I like something doesn't mean that I have to have it. But if I like something, still I want it. Why do I want it? Ignorance. And then I make the decision, oh, and it must be good because I want it. This is what gives rise to judgments. We're talking about the judgmental mind or the critical mind that's going around liking things and wanting it and not liking other things and wanting to get rid of it, thinking that this is good and this is bad. This is actually the story of Adam and Eve. What did Adam and Eve do? They ate of the fruit of knowledge of good and evil. Mm-hmm, right, yeah. okay? They mm-hmm. ate of the fruit of knowledge, which means they had to put up with their judgments. Mm-hmm. If they decide that this part of paradise is better than that part of paradise, then this part of paradise must be paradise, and that part over there must not be paradise. And if they do that with every piece of paradise they get, they'll wind up with very, very little paradise and a whole bunch of not-paradise. So Adam and Eve threw themselves out of their own paradise by judgments, they Mm. were judgmental. Okay, How often do you throw yourself out of your own paradise Mm. with your own judgments? About every minute. Maybe when I'm in really bad shape every 10 seconds. Mm
1: And you're saying, so the one way out we need to develop, essentially, the skill of creating more wholesome thought and recognizing hindrances as they arise. Mm-hmm. And guarding the mind to keep the hindrances out.
2: Uh-huh.
1: How do we and keep this, them out, though? If we,
0: if, if by there's being no on guard. So as soon as my thought about that email comes into mind, I'm going to say, ah, I'm going to stay here now. Everything is okay. What if, right. what if it rises again? Everything's okay again. Okay. All right. Mm-hmm. Just because we were able to throw it out of the mind so easily doesn't mean it's never going to come back. No, it'll come back just as easily. Are you going to let it come back in? Mm-hmm. Or are you going to throw it back out again? Mm-hmm.
2: Okay.
0: This is why it's practice. We have to keep practicing throwing it out again. Throwing it out again over and over and over again. And pretty soon we get more and more in the habit of having only wholesome thoughts.
1: So sort of. um, Sort of like Aristotle, what Aristotle said that excellence is not a state, it's a skill. Yes, right. This
0: is a skill to be developed. In fact, there are four primary skills. And uh, these would be the eightfold noble path skills of right view. Right sati, right uh, effort, and right attitude. But there are some secondary skills. And the secondary skill, number one, would be investigating what the mind is. And so you can, the skill of seeing dukkha, what is dukkha, what is not dukkha. If we recognize this as dukkha as a hindrance, then the skill of throwing it out and gladdening the mind. That's a secondary skill that needs to be developed to gladden the mind, to brighten the mind, so that whenever we have a, a, a very quick thought of, um, let us say, a disaster is in process. A disaster, something like trying to sell a house that's in a foreign country, because that's actually something that's going on right now. And working with two or three lawyers, and real estate agents, and co-owners, and uh, haven't dealt with the sellers. But if I have a thought about that real estate transaction, I can say, I can't do anything about it right now. And not only that, but I'm okay right now. Everything is okay. I don't have to think about that house. Therefore, that house is off limits. I do Mm -hmm. not allow myself to think about that house, but that house is actually in the United States. Therefore, it's better for me to say, okay, the United States in general, off limits. Any thought that comes up about the United States is going to be out, and I throw that thought out. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: Okay. Um, When Danny from England was actually here in Thailand, I gave him uh, the job that while he is in Thailand, to not allow yourself to have any thoughts about England. Not about going home, not about the parents, not about girlfriends, not about job nothing. Anything that happened in England, you can't think about it while you're in Thailand. Mm. And that really helped him clean up his mind because most of his thoughts were about England. Mm. Because he was new in Thailand, there was not much to think about in Thailand. (laughs) (laughs) And so he could begin to concentrate on just his present moment. And so what I'm talking about now is the beginning to develop a don't do list. You know about a to do list. Okay. well, we're going to have a don't do list. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: Okay. and that you'll you'll put some items on that list and pretty soon you can cross things off that list because you don't do them anymore.
2: Mm
1: -hmm. So by continually catching negative thoughts and replacing them they stop becoming as frequent, is what you're saying. That's
0: exactly right. Right. They rot away. Mm -hmm. By not having them so frequent, by not giving them the fuel, they will stop burning. Mm -hmm. And you're going to start giving a new fuel to a new fire and kindle that. And that kindling that we're doing here is the kindling of friendship Mm -hmm. and nurturing. Mm -hmm. And we're putting away the critical mind. So in a way, we can say, let's go back to the word acceptance for just a bit. When that baby is brand new born, the mother accepts that infant. In fact, that, the acceptance when, when the baby is born, moms generally, because of modern uh, Western medicine, she's kind of out of it. They gave her a saddle block or some drugs or whatever like that, and then the nurse will take after the baby is born and go clean it up. So after the baby's cleaned up and the moms uh, got her brain back working again, they will bring the infant in, and that's the point of bonding. That's a very tender moment. A lot of people like to be there when a mom gets her brand new baby. Everybody tears up with joy, okay? So she completely accepts that child. That, that's a more fate. That's a ah, got it. Okay. That's what we mean now. But um that acceptance of that child grows old but in the beginning mom nurtures that child anything that child does is marvelous even his first poopy after a couple of days they even anticipate it some people even take photos of baby's first poopy right but 15 years later that 16 year old boy walks into the house and takes a dump on the floor in the kitchen Uh, (laughs) ah no no now the parents are going to be really critical in the beginning they were nurturing okay so this idea of western mentality using the word uh, and I talk about it in the sense of western buddhism using the word acceptance the acceptance then would be to accept that this teenager has pooped on the floor in the kitchen right we're not going to accept that But we can still accept the boy. We can, you know, come in and say, Hey, I see you made a poopy in the kitchen. Were you trying to send a message with that? What was your message? (laughs) Okay, so in the beginning, everything is okay, everything is beautiful, everything is nurturing and the child feels that nurturing, and then later the criticism is added in. And so we become critical of ourselves. And so moment by moment, when the the dude is sitting there in meditation, he's most likely going to have critical thoughts. And we want to turn those around and start having those as nurturing thoughts instead, to nurture ourselves. Everything is okay, everything is fine. Wow, that was a good one. Aha, I see you, Myra. And we begin to change our attitude. Mm-hmm. Our attitude basically comes from the attitude of a loser into the attitude of a winner. So the attitude of the loser is acceptance. The attitude of the winner is, whoopee! I can handle this. That, in fact, this is the first point of the eightfold, excuse me, the first point a progress the Buddha says the very first knowledge the very first knowledge that a student will gain through his practice is that no matter how obstructed the mind gets with hindrances whether it's frequent or hardcore or recurring or whatever those hindrances are including the hindrance of having your tooling down the road and you see the red lights of a cop behind you and he honks his horn or puts his siren on. And that's the time for a lot of people to go into hindrance. Okay. But the whole point of the first, knowledge, the first noble knowledge is, is that no matter how uh, obstructed the mind becomes, when I have Shanti to remember... I can throw that hindrance out, clean my mind out, come to the here now and see the reality of the situation. That's the first knowledge. And actually it's not a knowledge at all. It's an attitude, the attitude of I can do this. No matter how obstructed the mind gets, I can clean it out and come back to the present moment. So that I can greet that cop correctly.
2: Mm.
0: instead of being freaked out.
1: So, um, maybe going back to the first question I asked about the the progress of insights. So, for you, from what I gather, progress, we know progress is being made um, when we become more wholesome, when um, negative thoughts become less frequent and we have more generally wholesome thoughts that replace them. That 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 is your that is what you're saying is how we gauge progress. So where does uh, things
0: yes, we we build skills, and with yes, those skills. skills we see things, and that over time, uh, the skill of investigation increases. That's also one of the skills to be developed is to actually keep track of what the mind is doing.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: The you mind start problems, watching. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that we can, in fact, fix it. We do not have to go into a depression or a dark night of the soul or any of that other stuff. That, mm-hmm. in fact, a dark night of the soul, uh, the the original ones that Christians would have, was. And we've got the two big examples that I have is Saint John of the Cross and Mother Teresa. Um, they have published her memoirs after she died in the 90s. And boy, were they revealing that she was in a dark night of the soul for a long time. Which basically meant, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Hey, buddy, I'm on the cross here. I need your help. Okay. And the way that that's expressed is I've been talking to God all these years and he never has answered me. I read all of these books about all of these people who have had God answer them, talk to them, but God never talks to me. Why isn't it God never talks to me? Okay, and if I can't get God to fix my wagon, who am I going to get to fix my wagon? And if God don't do it, my wagon permanently broken, poor me. Mm -hmm. That's despair. That's the dark night of the soul, is when you see no help, no escape. And you can get yourself into that kind of state. But within the actual teachings of the Buddha, we want to look at something else instead. And that is the issue of disgust. Disgust is not the same thing as despair. The -hmm. dark night of the soul is a state of despair. We're looking at it in the sense of disgust. When we see Dukkha for what it is, we become disgusted with it. The example that I would use is something's happening out in the world here, and I don't like it, but I am clinging to that world. And when I recognize for sure that that world is, in fact, disgusting, I can begin to do something about it. But when I recognize that, no, it's not the world that's disgusting, it's the fact that I've got that world all over my hand while I'm clinging to it, that the disgust is in the clinging to, the, to that world. Mm-hmm. Then I can really let it go. Once I see that disgust, once I see that obstruction, I can turn it loose. I can let it go. That I don't have to stay disgusted. The dark night of the soul is this, and not seeing a way out of it. Okay, and we're in a state of despair, but when we see what's going on, then we can become disgusted with what we're doing and start to make a change. And then this is what we call lokatara are becoming above the world, super mundane. So this first knowledge, the knowledge that no matter how obstructed the mind is, I can in fact clean it out. This knowledge is super mundane. It is noble. It's a factor of the path. And it is number four, not held by ordinary people. Ordinary people are capable of going into the dark night of the soul. A lot of meditators are quite capable of going into a dark night of the soul. Dan Ingram spent quite a lot of time in the dark night of the soul. Mm-hmm. But he got through it. Mm-hmm. But he didn't have to go through it. He could mm-hmm. have sidestep that path. It's almost like going up to your hips in, uh, uh, in sewage. That's the dark night of the soul. And then you wade to the other side of the sewer and you climb out, right? hmm but you didn't have to climb into that sewer in the first place. You could have just walked around it. You didn't have to go through the sewer. And a lot of people would get caught in the sewer. That's when it's a real dark night of the soul. Is when it just lasts and, lasts and lasts and lasts and lasts. And with the Christians and especially the Catholics, when they go into the dark night of the soul, there's no way that they can go to an elder priest to find a way out of it, because the elder priest doesn't know how to get out of the dark night of the soul. But if he would go to a Buddhist monk, the Buddhist monk would say, oh, yeah, dark night of the soul, yeah, we've been there, done that, yeah, here's what you do. Forget about it. Forget about Anything that you have a thought about the dark night of the soul, just throw it out. Forget about it. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: And so you could say then that the Mahasi method is actually an ordinary practice for ordinary people. Mm -hmm. And Anapanasati is a noble practice that brings the mind into a noble state. And when one knows that he can do that, Mm -hmm. then the
1: mind becomes noble.
2: Mm
1: -hmm. So you're saying that there are multiple ways of sort of, I guess,
0: yeah, you can but, say it like this. There's a but, slow easy and there's a slow hard. And the Mahasi method is the slow hard path,
1: uh-huh. but
0: the Buddha recommends the slow easy.
1: But they both, in the end, theoretically, you would say the same endpoint of, say, like, I don't know, stream entry, for instance.
0: No, I'm saying that it's possible, but it's extraordinarily rare.
2: Uh-huh. Okay. Oh, yeah.
0: It's extraordinarily rare for the, for the hard slow to ever be anything but hard slow. Yeah. Someplace along the path, someone has to make up their mind that, damn, I don't need this dark night of the soul. I'm getting out of here. And that's when they develop the right attitude. I can handle this. Mm-hmm. This is nothing. Let me finish with these dark night of the souls. And if you've actually been around, Dan, you know that he's a really cheerful guy. Mm-hmm. He made it through the dark night of the soul. Not everybody does.
1: Mm-hmm. So where does like, um, so I, I'm getting a better picture of what you know um, meditation is from your perspective, I suppose. Where does well, things, it's not mine. it's we not? Yeah, yeah not I know. My. I know. I get. I, I get what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. But um say so like where does This is through this
0: is through the Thailandese. this is Bhikkhu Buddha Dasha. I have a lot to say about all yeah. the monks that know him and, and whatnot. He's quite famous in of Thailand course. and has thousands, millions of followers, but always his stuff is based right there in the suttas. Uh-huh. Where does
1: like um stream entry fit in? Pardon? Where does stream entry fit in? For who? So say in, in your model of progressing, um, one's one's insight. So we're gladdening the mind and being becoming more wholesome. So at what point does the meditator In your model reach stream entry, is it when he is sufficiently okay,
0: here's the point. Years after or perhaps months and months and months after he actually reaches stream entry, he reflects upon back and say, Yeah, that, 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 and I haven't had that issue in three years and I haven't seen that. Yeah, I think maybe I can go ahead and Okay. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: In fact, a better way of looking at it is not a point in time anyway. That that point in time is very very Western mentality. That's why I think they like the Mahazi method so much. Is because mm-hmm. it's event oriented. Mm, yeah. Okay. We we also are event oriented, but only in the sense that you've got a new event every second.
2: Uh-huh. Okay.
0: You are constantly going from one event to the next to the next to the next. Why cling
1: to any of them? Uh huh. Because the the, Dan, the Daniel Ingram model is, I again, I'm not an expert in any of these things, but stream entry is like an event like once you reach a succession or a fruition, that's when, you know, your mind reboots and you become a, a Sotopana or a stream editor.
0: Yes, that's, that's a model. That's a very Western model. Yeah. Um, let's look at it from this perspective. Let us say that you have for days now been climbing to the top of a hill, a mountain, and that mountain has a precipice, but you've gone along the easy way and that you've gotten up to the top of the hill and now that you're at that precipice and now you jump off and you're in free fall. haven't hit the ground yet, but you're in free fall. Now that jumping off and being in free fall, was that an event? Or did it not have to do with the fact that you'd already set that event up by getting to the top of that hill? In fact, climbing that hill was part of the event yeah, of right. the jumping off. It's a perfect. Another example is, is that the child has been taking piano lessons for a couple of years and he's got his second recital coming up and he's been practicing this piece of music and he hadn't been getting it. And then Aunt Susie comes over to visit Mom, and Mom says, why don't you play that song for Aunt Susie? And he plays it, and he plays it quite well, because he's getting ready for his recital. And Mom and Aunt Susie congratulate him. Oh, you've done very, very well. Now, that event of playing that piece of music correctly, was that just an event? How about all the time he spent practicing that piece of music to bring it up to the point that he could play it correctly? And what about the next time that he plays it correctly? Because the next time he might play it correctly is at the recital itself. Mm. Okay? You hear where I'm coming from? These event-oriented kinds of things ha- are problematic mm-hmm. because it, it, uh, uh, it puts too much emphasis on uh, a very short period of time. And it, what we're really doing is we're doing skill development, and skill development takes time
1: over and over and persistence. You're saying that um, event-oriented thinking takes away from the process of actually doing the thing.
0: Right. The event orientation uh, excuses or actually discounts the process. Uh But what we need to do is keep track of the process, not progress, but process. Mm -hmm. At this moment, yeah, this is just another moment. this other moment, it doesn't matter how many beautiful moments I've had in the past, I still have the choice. Am I going to have a beautiful moment right now or not? Mm. So we keep bringing it all back to this present moment, this present moment, this present moment. Now, there are sets of knowledges for soda pie. And the first knowledge is, is that the student gets that right attitude that I can clean this stuff out,
2: Mm -hmm.
0: okay? The second knowledge is the knowledge that they have some mastery over first jhana, Mm -hmm. in the sense that I can do this, I can bring that serenity on, I know that I can do this, okay? The third knowledge is knowledge and vision of what is and is not the path. The actual knowledge of the Eightfold Noble Path of the Buddha, I understand it correctly, and I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that it works. I've got proof positive, Mm -hmm. okay? And that's why they call it also the eradication of doubt. Doubt about the path, doubt about... Uh, what is the path, and and also the eradication of doubt about what is not the path.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: So that we know for sure. That's the third knowledge. Once we gain that knowledge, the fourth knowledge is the knowledge of wrongdoing. It's not actually wrongdoing, but it's actually a learning experience. So that we look for dukkha everywhere. And any time that we make a transgression, we're willing to admit it. Aha! I see you, Mara. Uh Aha, I screwed that up. And if I need to for a confession, I'll find some trusted friend or a senior and I'll go and tell them, hey, I screwed that up. So that I become really honest with what we're doing. We're no longer afraid and lie about our wrongdoing and our bad behavior. We see it as an opportunity to be free from dukkha. Because, guess what? If we want to hide it, that means that we have the idea that it's part of us, and we might do it again. Mm-hmm. But if we can confess it, bring it out in the open, and see it for what it is, dukkha for what duca says, we might, in fact, put that item then on our don't do it list. That's the fourth knowledge. The fifth knowledge is when the student becomes completely engaged with what he's doing. In the analogy, it's uh, that even if the monk is doing uh, his monkly duties, like sweeping or whatever, still he's thinking about the Dhamma. He's got the Dhamma on his mind. An analogy would be a, uh, a mother cow with her new calf. Even though that mother cow is eating grass, still she's got one eye on that calf. And so if a predator or a human being even comes anywhere near, she's going to guard that calf. Even while she's eating grass, she's still got an eye on that calf. So even though you're out there living your life, you still have an eye for the Dhamma. You're still looking for the Dhamma. Everywhere you go, it's Dhamma, 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 Dhamma. You don't see anything but Dhamma. That's all there is. Okay, that's the fifth knowledge. The sixth knowledge is when that that dhamma, dhamma, dhamma everywhere, we become enthusiastic about it. Enthusiasm. Okay, and we become enthusiastic about our practice. We become enthusiastic to hear the dhamma, to listen to the dhamma, to want to know the dhamma, to think about the dhamma, to read the dhamma, to practice the dhamma. Dhamma, 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 that's the only thing I really care about. Okay, Enthusiasm that's the sixth knowledge and the seventh knowledge which is the full fruit of Sotapan is the delight absolutely delighted with the Dhamma this is wonderful this is so nice I really appreciate the Buddha because I know now for sure how to practice
2: Mm -hmm.
0: okay and those things those things those are knowledges are put together And you can see the three first fetters that are eradicated by knowledge are built right in. Personality view. Elimination of rice rules, rituals, procedures, ways of doing things, etc. like that. That Sila Bhatta has now been substituted with the Eightfold Noble Path. And that uh, Dukkha and Dukkha Naroda... Now, become the guidance rather than all those other rules that we used to follow, many of them contradictory. Mm-hmm. Okay, and then the knowledge of what is and what is not the path is the final eradication of doubt.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: You see, in the beginning, our doubt is who's, who are we going to get to fix this mess? Mm-hmm. I need a Jesus, I need a Savior. I need a religion, I need a government, I need food stamps, I need uh, an education, I need that new car. Okay. Huh? Mm-hmm. So, we need, right, we need, we need, we need, because we're not good enough. I need a mommy to change my diaper, because my diaper has gotten really dirty. Can I find a mommy to help clean my diaper? The answer is, no, you're going to have to do that yourself. You're going to have, for instance, if you're going to learn to play the game of golf, no matter how much you pay Arnold Palmer or any other teacher, it's you who has to learn to play golf.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: All right? You cannot get somebody else to do it for you. You can get somebody can can see what you're doing wrong, but within meditation, it's really hard to see any uh, other than. Is the student smiling? If the student is sitting there meditating and he's not smiling, he's obviously doing it wrong. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but other than that, we don't know what the student is doing. And we don't really care. Because it's up to the student to fix up his own mind. So that raises a second doubt. And the doubt is, are you up to the task? Can you do it or not?
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Are you capable of coming out of your own depression? Are you capable of of cleaning up your own mind. Can you do that? Mm Ah, there's where this path that we've been talking about of these knowledges come in. Okay, that first knowledge is no matter how uh, obstructed the mind is with hindrances, I can throw it out and come back to this present moment. And I can keep doing that over and over and over again. Okay, that's that's the eradication of the doubt. The first knowledge then eradicates the second doubt. I can do this. And that's also the right attitude. Can you mm-hmm. do it?
2: Mm-hmm.
0: There only there's only one way. And that is success. It doesn't matter how much faith or how many books you've read or how many Dharma talks you've seen or anything like that, or how much money you've donated to this or that charity. Basically, what it is, is that you have to have the experience of being able to clean out your mind. Aha, I see you, Myra, changing the mind, getting yourself into a nice state over and over and over again, till you know that you can do this. This is something a lot of Mahasya students don't know how to do. Of being able to clean out the mind, to get yourself into a really good state. And once you do that over and over and over again, then confidence will grow. I can do this. That's that first knowledge. Mm -hmm. And then at step three, when we understand that it's the Eightfold Noble Path, it is the Buddha's teaching that is my toolbox. So I'm developing these skills and the right attitude is part of the skills, but I also need the tools. And the tools are the Eightfold Noble Path from and Anapanasati and Paticca Samuppada and the teachings of the Buddha. And when I become skilled at using those tools, now I've got it. Now I know no matter what, I've got all the tools I need, I've got all the skills I need, and I can live my life happily. That's the third knowledge knowledge and vision that what is and is not the path and that it's a good path It works.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Works better in Christianity, works better than um, uh, uh, EMS, works better than hospitals, works better than psychologists.
1: So you're saying um, <clears throat> by, by continually doing the process, We can see that it works and by seeing it works we gain confidence in the fact that it works and then we have faith and not faith. We believe we know for sure because we've seen it work Mm -hmm.
0: now. This is sutras in in, uh, of the Buddha. This is actually I'm using a combination of sutra number two, sutra number 48 and sutra number 24. Putting those sutras together. In fact, the, the, the phrase uh, knowledge and vision of what is and what is not the path is out of Sutra number 24 in Sutra number 48. It's just a short passage. So, um. But this is not the Mahasi method, because Mahasi is based upon the Satipatthana and is based upon the Vasudhi Magga, Where what we're talking about here is based in the Four Noble Truths, the Eightfold Noble Path, Petita samuppada Uh, ...and Anapanasati. And the Buddha says... ...that Anapanasati is to be practiced... ...for the fulfillment... ...of the Satipatthana. Now that statement alone indicates something. It indicates that that first off... ...Anapanasati is a practice. And that uh, the Satipatthana is not actually a practice that is actually something to be fulfilled. So we practice Anapanasati for the fulfillment of the Satipatthana. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: Okay, so we can say then that that the Satipatthana, um, when methods like the Mahasi method put all their emphasis upon the Satipatthana, they're missing some of the key ingredients out of actually what the practice is and how to practice, especially the part about gladdening the mind. But then there's other aspects of Anapanasati. Uh, Step number, and when I say steps, it's really not steps in the sense of time. Do the first step the first year, the second step the second year, the third step the third year, etc. is not the way that we practice. You cannot go into the meditation hall without taking all your body, all your feelings, all your mind, and all your mind's objects in there with you. You cannot just bring the mind in and leave the body in the bed you got to have the whole show so when i'm talking about the various steps i'm talking about the steps that can happen within a one second period of time that happens over the years okay and one of the steps of anapanasati is sukha sukha is the exact opposite of dukkha
2: mm-hmm.
0: and sukha is to be developed what is sukha Sukha actually is a collective word that has the following qualities to it. Comfort, satisfaction, safety, and security. And that we can call such a state a state of pleasure. And this is a skill to be developed. Because very few people are in the state of Sukha often. Most of us are in and out of dukkha all the time. And dukkha and sukha are exact opposites. So another way we're saying is, is that we use now uh, an aspect of Anapanasati sukha to actually practice the third noble truth. Mm-hmm. Most of the systems, they talk about the four noble truths, but all they give is just a salute and a, and a quick passing by the third noble truth. Where, in fact, with Anapanasati, we want to develop that third noble truth. We want to, yeah, this is it. Hey, man, no worries. Hey, man, this is it. Complete freedom from suffering. Ah, finally. And we get into that state over and over and over again to start practicing being in that third noble truth as opposed to being stuck in the first one. Noting dukkha is not the same as getting rid of it completely. In this moment. And so we practice the gladdening of the mind in order to develop this feeling of satisfaction. And then the next one, step five of uh, of Anapanasati, which actually comes later as we develop the skill of right attitude, is this thing in Nepali they call pity. Pity is actually the winner's mentality, the yee-haw, the yeah, I can do this. And that is a feeling that needs to be developed in Anapanasati, step five. It's a skill to be developed while mindfully breathing in a long breath. And it is a skill to be developed while mindfully with sati, uh, breathing out a long breath. Where well, so would you.? Use um, breathing in and out, in and out, while we're developing sati, uh-huh. or while we're developing
1: sukha. So for a- Anapanasati, where would you recommend to do some reading into the steps and how to actually practice the whole, the whole thing? We'll do that. Okay. You and I together. Okay.
0: We'll go through it in great detail. This is just kind of an introduction to, uh, to get you in a new frame of reference.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: But you already know how to practice. I mean, I've already given you all the details that you need. So you can go off and practice that for a couple of days, and then you can come back and call me. But you can also read the Anapanasati Sutta. Now, it's going to be a tough slog for you. I can get through it in about 20 minutes. It may take you days. Because it's loaded down. It's just absolutely loaded down. It's Almost every word needs to be looked up in the Pali Dictionary.
2: Mm-hmm. Okay.
0: So, but we'll do that together. And as you've, as you've noticed, I've already started mentioning the, this, the various points. Step number 10 is to gladden the mind. When do we gladden the mind? When we remember to gladden the mind. When do we remember to gladden the mind? Every time we wake up. We wake up and remember. And then we throw whatever's out of the mind and we take a, a deep breath. Oh, I'm glad I don't have to think about that anymore in this moment that can wait right now everything is hunky-dory everything is good and so that's the practice that's the real practice and a lot of the people who are practicing Mahasi don't understand that oh that's why we're noting is so that we can decide what's worth keeping and what's worth throwing out and we begin to see hey a lot of stuff i've been thinking needs to be thrown out And so we'll talk next time more about wholesome and unwholesome thoughts and hindrances and apply that to the various steps of Anapanasati.
1: Okay. Well, uh, thank you. Thank you for the talk. It's, uh, it's been informative. I've, it's a new way of looking at meditation. I'm going to try, uh, what I've taken, try and use what I've taken so far and, uh, give you a call and see how you see how we, we can go from there
0: yeah I really like to talk with you again I know well, that you still got a lot of doubt I'm I can't eradicate all the doubt all at one time but you mold this stuff over start with a fire has to have a fuel mm-hmm. if you understand that then you'll understand oh well if I change the fuel I can change the fire
1: mm-hmm. well, okay thank you thank you so much
0: All right. Jacob, we'll see you in a couple of days, okay? Yeah, see you soon. Bye-bye. All right.